the things that I often hear when, when speaking to, to non-believers, especially, though, though not exclusively after kind of some tragic event or, or circumstance, quite often I will hear the comment of, why doesn't God step in and do something? I wonder if you've ever had that said to you. Why doesn't God step in and do something? Well, friends, the answer is that he has. In the verses we read earlier, John tells us clearly that God in Christ Jesus has not only stepped in, but actually lived among us. He came to that which was his own. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. As we sang earlier, light of the world just stepped down his gospel. Not as Matthew and Luke do theirs by speaking of the birth of Jesus. No, John takes us back to what one writer calls the mists of eternity. The mists of eternity. In the beginning. We don't get any earlier than that. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You cannot go any further back. And John begins his gospel by going back to the very beginning. If you know your Bible, and I'm sure many of you do, you will see echoes here of Genesis 1-1. Before we paint a little bit of, of, of the background to, to John's gospel, it is commonly agreed that the writer is, strangely enough, John, and he's the name, the son of Zebedee, who also wrote the three letters, one, two, three, John, reading a book yesterday, uh, or started reading a book last week, um, that, that kind of talked about, well, how it's so important today that, that pastors know one, two, three, John, and didn't refer to Calvin, Piper, and MacArthur. But anyway, that's who, who John is. He, he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote 1, 2, 3 John, and he wrote also the book of Revelation. He was one of the original 12 disciples. And it is he, I believe, and we can discuss it with him as we go through the Gospel, but it's he, I believe, who is described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. There is nowhere readings that I can find. There is nowhere in the gospel that John by name is identified as the author. But it's widely accepted that he is. And as I've said many, many times before when we when we kind of look at these issues, in any case, what does it matter? Because ultimately God is the author of literature. Scholars, as they do, have to sell books, differ on, on when it was written. There are two kind of main thoughts. One, one places it around AD 85. 70 AD was kind of the destruction of Jerusalem and there's reasons why some hold to that. For what it's worth, I go along with this earlier date. And it's interesting because it's not until we get to the end of John's gospel that actually John reveals his reason for writing. And, and, and 
for me the crucial verse of, of John's gospel is, is John 20 verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So friends, at the heart of this gospel, its purpose for writing, for John's purpose for writing it, is evangelism. He, he is writing in order that people might come to believe. And that by believing in Jesus Christ, they may have life. That is one of the, 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 the most used and important themes in the gospel. Life. John 10 verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. If you're looking for fullness of life outside of Christ, you're searching in the wrong places. And John's gospel will begin to kind of unpack all of this. However, however, saying that, and I hold firmly to what I've said, that there is an alternative reading to, to John 20 verse 31. There is an alternative reading that, that puts the, the word in, in, in the present tense. And so it could be read so that those who believe may go on believing, which would then give the gospel of John, a discipleship focus. But sometimes as a Christian, we can have our cake and we can eat it. And so either way, I have got no problem because anything that helps both evangelism and anything that helps discipleship has got to be well worth studying and reading and listening to. John's intention is to make the claims of Jesus Christ known and he challenges all who hear what he has to say. And, and my prayer is, as we begin this study, is, is, as we work our way through it, we will see people coming to believe, and that those of us who do, we go on believing. We may be strengthened in our belief. There are other important themes. There is the kind of constant theme of, of, of light versus darkness. There are the seven signs, the seven miracles that Jesus prophesied, then from chapter 13 to verse 20, the book of glory, and then chapter 21 and afterwards. It differs. The gospel differs in certain ways from the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who are known as the, the synoptic gospels. Some see John as, as more theological. Others that while the synoptics describe the events in the life of Jesus, John appears to stress more the meaning of these events. And so we're kind of looking forward to, to, to believe. I encourage you, as I said earlier, to find time to read the gospel for yourself in preparation for our study. I will, as usual, just be preaching through it verse by verse, so kind of where we finish one week will be where we pick it up next. I'll pray for you as you listen, and you can pray for me as I study and preach, and together may we more and more believe. That's something of the background out of the text itself. I want to share with you four things. I'm really kind of 
pad them at the shores of these great truths here, but hopefully they'll be helpful. Four things. Firstly, revelation. These verses that we read reach sublime heights. But because in them we have in relation to Jesus Christ both his divinity and his humanity, his pre-existence, his incarnation, as well as revelation and indeed sacrifice. And John begins at the beginning. John begins with the pre-existence of Jesus, indeed the preeminence of the word that existed before the creation of the world. And as I said, you cannot miss, side of thing, you cannot miss the allusion to Genesis 1 and 1 here. One writer says this, talking of John's gospel, this is a gospel that will record the recreation of men and women, the giving of life in darkness where there is no hope. Look out into our nation today and darkness and hopelessness abound. We're taking it in John's gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John is stating right at the outset that Jesus Christ is the word of God. The Greek that word that is used is logos. And I don't kind of want to get kind of um, too much time spent on, on, on this because we could go spend about three sermons on, on this alone. The, the Greek word used is logos. And John asserts at least two things about Jesus as the word of God, as the logos, in this first verse. Firstly, that Jesus shares God's eternity. In that he was there in the beginning with God. There was not a time that Jesus did not exist. And when Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on your door, be prepared for them. Later on in John's gospel, Jesus speaks, doesn't he, of the glory that I had with you before the world began. Before the creation of the world. He was with God in the beginning. Not only was he with God, but he is God. This unambiguously affirms the deity of Jesus Christ. We have to hold firm to it, brothers and sisters. In John 8, 58, Jesus tells, I am. I am. And as we work our way through the gospel, this theme will be deeds and the words of Jesus are the deeds and the words of God. He shared eternity with God. He was as God. And in the rest of the verses, we see another three things in relation to the word that was revealed. Revelation. Then we see the word active in creation. Verse 3, through him, speaking of the word, through him, all things were made. And as if almost to, to, to emphasize it further, John tells us that without him nothing was made 
that has been done. He is God's creative agent, responsible for the creation of this world and everything that is in it. We read at the beginning of the of the service in Colossians 1. Verse 16 there tells us, for by him all things were created. Nothing came into being without him. And again we see here the authors of Genesis 1 and 1. For we read that in him was life. And God spoke life. And we read that in him is life. And Genesis tells us that before creation, earth was formless and empty, but that darkness was over this place. So already, already, moving on to verse 3, we see the divinity of Jesus. We see the creative power of Jesus. Revelation, creation. But then, incredibly, we see the incarnation. We see it in some way, if you like, hinted at in verses 10 and 11, but we see it nowhere clearer, friends, than in verse 14. I, I never fail to marvel at these verses. I, I, I don't think I can ever adequately explain them. I don't think I can ever adequately kind of plumb the depths of them, but oh, how I rejoice in them. How, how I glory in them. How, how I marvel. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Christmas Carol has it so well. is our God. Don't accept it. Bruce Milne in his excellent commentary on John says this. If you want a very readable commentary on John, kind of have a look at Bruce Milne's in the Bible Speaks Today series. Bruce Milne says this. God the Son without ceasing for a moment to be divine has united to himself a full human nature and became an authentic human person. God with us. In Jesus Christ, God was made man. Another line of an old hymn, I think it was a Christmas hymn, but but it could be sung at any time. Just a little line in it. It says this, singing earlier with the children about our great big God and, and, and we have a great big God but, but listen to the line of this hymn our God contracted to a span incomprehensible he incarnated he became flesh the word flesh itself is a rather interesting word that John uses again Bruce Milne, you won't be the first time you hear his, last time you hear his name. But Bruce Milne makes a point that John bypasses saying Jesus became a man or, 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 or Jesus became a body, but rather became flesh. Because he argues flesh 
stands China for the whole person, including, if you like, its, its, its frailness and, and, and its vulnerability. That is how God so identified with humanity. That's how he has stepped in. How he has exception of course of our sinful nature but in every other way he was loved as we work our way through John's gospel we will see how Jesus got weary how he got thirsty how he openly wept wondrous mystery in the dawning of the Trinity he the theme of heaven's praises robed in frail humanity in our longing in our darkness now the light of life has come look to Christ who condescended took on flesh to ransom for blessings in the final hymns. But also notice what else John tells us. If that isn't enough, and also notice what John tells us. Not to take on flesh regarding the incarnation, but John tells us he made his dwelling among us. Wow. The word that is used here for dwelling carries the meaning of the tent of tabernacle. Okay? And and, and it would speak to John's original readers about God's presence with his people in the Old Testament. One of the other scholars makes a point that, 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 that John, kind of, and this would have resonated with them, this word dwelling. See, his glory in the Old Testament was seen in various ways. Kind of, you've seen a little bit of it in the Exodus. And then the kind of tent of tabernacles. And then eventually... Then Solomon built the temple and, 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 and kind of Moses saw it, didn't he, on, 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 on Mount Sinai. But friends, here's the amazing thing. God in Christ has come to dwell physically among us. God's glory is revealed in Jesus. And now that glory a little bit of that last Sunday morning thanks for gracing that but now that glory of God that if you like was once restricted to either the exodus at 10 the tabernacle or whatever is now as well he stepped out into our world and became a part of it he was still Lord because John tells us that he came from the father and he tells us two things about him he is full of grace and truth. God's grace. God's amazing grace. God's unmerited grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus was, Jesus is full of grace. Very simple, but anyway, if you are full of something, then there is no room for any more. 
Jesus can't be any more full. Jesus can't be any more full. He is full of grace. He is full of truth. And truth is another word that John uses a lot in his gospel. Indeed, um, John, sorry, Jesus reminds us, doesn't he, in John 14, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, there is a song that says, may I never lose the wonder of the cross. May we never lose the wonder amazing but notice finally we also see adoption where is that you might ask well notice verses 10 to 13 he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God children of God. There is so much to unpack in these verses, yet at the heart of them is the whole reason for the incarnation. He came to that which was his own, but they did not receive him. That, that speaks to me of the response of the Jews to the coming of Jesus. For centuries, they, they had been waiting for the promised Messiah. Yet when he came, not only did they fail to recognize him, and they should have recognized him because there was an uproar against him. And we'll see that as we work our way through it. Not only did they fail to recognize him, they actually, or at least most of them, including the religious people and the leaders of the day, rejected him. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference and not recognizing. That's why John is writing this gospel that we might come to believe. That there's a difference between not recognizing and an outright rejection. You know, even churches now might not kind of quite fully grasp who, who Jesus is. That's completely different from knowing who he is and rejecting him. This is written that we might believe. throughout his ministry and John's gospel makes it clear Jesus taught to all who would listen that he was the fulfillment of the vision last week didn't we John it was even Elijah kind of stands up and he you know, sums up the law and the prophets and everything is fulfilled in Jesus he was the Messiah he is the Messiah he has come to his people has come to give them the right to be children of God, to be adopted into his family. And we'll see when we get to chapter 3 with the encounter of Nicodemus. But we need to notice how such an adoption into the family of God, of her becoming a child of God, we are not all children of God, it is a work of God. And friends, right at the very beginning of this study, there is a challenge for each every one of us because in these two verses we have what are the only two responses to Jesus Christ 
there is either rejection or there is receiving. There is trusting. And when one puts their trust in Jesus Christ, then then and then alone they have the right to return into his family. The great doctrine speaking on your spiritual path which is why John reminds us at the end of verse 13 it is all done and verse 16 shows us that all that we have and all that we are is from the fullness of the Father do you recognise that this morning do you acknowledge that this morning that whatever you have Wherever you are at, it's all a complete gift. I was thinking through this this morning when I was in the mood. Were it not for the grace of God that on the 7th of June 1981 saved me, I do not know where I would be this morning. Do you see God's grace in your life? And that grace, that truth, comes through one who in the beginning was the word and was with God in the beginning and was and is God. Those of you who have been following along will will know by now that I left out the blessings concerning John the Baptist and left that one out of here so I'm not avoiding that. But here friends in this prologue John just ascends so great and so glorious I kind of just feel so in, in adequate in trying to describe it you know the, the early church found this so great and so glorious that in the early church the gospel of John was symbolized by reading may we soar study John's gospel that people will come to it in everyday life sometimes we sing hymns don't we and God we know them kind of so well but, but we sang earlier just before we were just before we came to God's word meekness and majesty manhood and deity in perfect harmony, never try and split the divinity and the humanity of Christ, in perfect harmony and manhood, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility and washes our feet. Oh, what a mystery. Meekness and majesty. Bow down and worship for this was the word the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us come behold the wondrous mystery Lord
We thank you for your word. These are such heights and such a depth that anything that's been said has been unheard.